So today is part 15 of our Becoming Who You Are series and we're going to be looking at uh, the verses uh, 1 through 6 of chapter 4. So verse 1 through 6 of chapter 4. So open your Bible and turn to Ephesians and uh, chapter 4 and read with me um, from verse uh, 1 uh, this morning. So we're going to just look at these first few verses together. We'll pray and then we'll get stuck in. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Let's pray. Father, as we begin the second half of Ephesians today, we ask that as we turn from uh, the theological stuff that we have looked at over these last uh, 14 weeks, that now as we turn to the practical, that we would put what we have learned in the past into practice. And Lord, we by your Spirit, we pray that you would empower us to do that and help us in every way. And speak to our hearts now and challenge us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last 14 weeks, as I've said, we have looked in some detail at our position in Jesus. So who he says we are, what he has called us to be, what the church looks like, the blessings, the hope, the power we possess because we have Jesus. But now we move from position to practice. Another way we could say it is this. Today in our series, we are moving from wealth to walk. So Paul, in a number of his letters, has this contrast, often starting with the theological, the positional stuff, and then moves on to the practical, the working, walking out of the truths we now know. I have to be honest, I have been challenged during this season in my life uh, that in my thinking about our position and uh, practice as a church, and there is no doubt that our capacity for teaching, the positional stuff, is overflowing. But I'm often concerned about how little time and space we give you to go out and to do the practical. In other words, we spend a lot of time spiritually eating, but maybe not so much time in spiritual and practical exercise. Well, for Paul, this was obviously important for him also. I think I see that here in Ephesians. Uh, in Ephesians, here he dedicates half of his letter to the church, instructing them how to live their position out. I think he not only told them who they are in the first half, but how to be who they are. And that's why I'm excited about beginning the second half of this book today. So the way I see it is like this. The first uh, 16 verses of, the chap of chapter 4 talk about the church's unity. And then from verse 17 forward, I think what Paul is teaching us here is, is about the church's purity. And inclusive of those major themes, there are various sub-themes and situations. 
all of which are applicable for us today as they were 2,000 years ago. Um, they're relevant for us today, they're bang up to date for us today, and so we must heed what they say and, and put them into practice. So we will be looking at the first half of the idea of unity today, and we will then continue with that in part two of that next week, God willing. Well then, let's look at verse one to begin with. If you have a Bible, turn uh, to it and open up your Bible. And we cannot miss, uh, when we turn to it, uh, in Paul's thinking about the shift between position and practical when he uses, I therefore. Basically, he has wonderfully told the Ephesian church who they are, and he's topped it off with a resounding amen, as we looked at last week. But now this prisoner for God gives this in imperative. It's, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, the walk here is obviously the practical working out of our position in Jesus as Christians. See, we are not inactive, passive seat warmers, but power-filled agents of God on this earth. That is who the Christian uh, is. For many people, they come to know all about Jesus. They can recite many passages of the Bible and they find much comfort from it, and that's great. But the hearts tell the story, don't they? All they are looking for is security in some way, but actually are unwilling to move from head knowledge to feet and handwork. See, Paul says here, get up from your comfort and walk. See, he's saying, have you not seen what Jesus has done for you? And what he has called you into. Well then if you have been moved into action. You see I think in these days it's, it's easier to fill a building with Christ consumers. Than it is to fill it with Christ workers. See we miss being together right. This season has hopefully I pray. Has given us a fresh appreciation for the wonder of the church. And all its members. But for some of you, the reality will result again one day when we're back to face-to-face -face gathering and simply attendance. Falling back into old routine without the thought that maybe God is giving us all an opportunity to think about how best we serve him through the church when we return. Well, don't let that happen. Look forward with me to not only being back in the building and with each other but getting on our knees and praying that God would set us on fire for his work and that we all would come back with anticipation and new zeal about how we will commit to the fellowship and how we will work out our salvation in these when these isolation days are over. See, Paul told the church the same thing and tells us here that they, the church of the Ephesians and us, are to walk and to actually walk in a specific way, as it says here, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, look at the word worthy for a second. The word has its roots in another word we use, which is 
weight, that word we use uh, for a type of measurement, measurement. And what Paul is trying to say here is that we are to walk in a manner equal to the weight to which you have been called. Did you hear that? We are to walk in a manner equal to the weight to which we have been called. So, the weight in which we have been called is written all over the first three chapters and it is huge in weight. Paul then is saying, walk in a manner worthy of it. Well, the question that you're probably asking then, like me, was how? How can I walk worthily of it? Well, I think the remainder of this book will help us in part with that. But for now, we take up the first way of walking, and it's to walk in unity. So I want to give you some headings today, again, to break up these few verses and maybe help you and help those who are taking notes this morning. And the first one uh, that we want to see this morning is this character in verse 2. What Paul is saying in verse 2 is that unity in the church begins with character. Look again at verse 2 and read it with me. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The people who bring unity are first of all kind and gentle. People who are unkind, harsh and sharp are not the people who promote unity in the church. Actually, the opposite. And, and in Greco-Roman times, in their culture, many thousands of years ago, humility was actually despised. It was thought to be a quality that a slave possessed. Yet what was admired by those people back then in that Greco-Roman culture was a mega-souled man who was complete and absolutely self-sufficient. Some of you single girls out there might be thinking, that's the sort of guy I'd love to date. Well, don't. Run as far away as possible from uh, people like that. These types of people don't do unity. Paul says here in the church context that we need people with humility and then he couples with that gentleness or meekness. That's just another word for gentleness. Now, don't think that meekness equals weakness. No. Actually, meekness is strength under control. Meekness is strength under, under control. See, Jesus descri described himself with both words, didn't he? Matthew eleven twenty nine says, I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart. And uh, how did he, how do we see those qualities play out in Jesus' life? Well, I think firstly, his power not to practice real, uh, retaliation and his ability to forgive. And secondly, his fierce and, and ability to, to defend others and the truth. But Paul adds to humility and greatness, and uh, sorry, and gentleness, as character that we ought to possess by saying that we are to do these things with patience. Did you see it? Bearing with one another in love. 
My dad is a pastor and has been for a long time. Growing up, uh, we were sheltered as boys from much of the griefs and trials of church life. But as me and my two older brothers grew up, it was inevitable that living in the house, we would become more and more aware of the church and the church's natural ability to create this unity. The church, you would think, would be the last place, right, for this unity. Well, sadly not. It isn't a new problem. I mean, look at the world we live in today. And look at 2,000 years ago when Paul here tells them to live in unity. He would only do this if there was a possibility for disunity, right? See, in verse 3, he calls for us to maintain to build the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But we're human. We're all different. We've looked at that in the previous weeks. And not to use that as an excuse. But things don't always go smoothly in life and in church. That is why Paul is telling the church to possess not only humility, but also gentleness, but also patience. This literally means long-tempered. Be long-tempered. And I've no doubt that some of us have the problem with short-temperedness. But it has no place in the church. Or in the character of the Christian life. Then Paul twins together another quality of bearing, as it says here, with one another in love. What does this mean? I think it means more than tolerating each other. I think what Paul is trying to get at here is that love is the oil of relationships. If I asked you today to tell me about the New Testament person that we know called Peter, the Apostle Peter, I think you might be able to come up with some ideas Um about what he's like, his qualities. You see, from the Bible, we know that Peter began as a very proud man. He was rough and impatient. But later in his years, he wrote this in his first letter. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. What Paul is telling us here in verse 2 is that Christian unity doesn't begin with an external structure. We as leaders of the church, apart from the teaching of the Bible and our uh, friendship and pastoral care cannot impart unity to you. This is an attitude of your heart. This is a heart thing. But on a positive, let me say this. Think of the diversity of the church. We talked about it a little bit just now. Think of all the body types. Tall, short, round, thin, muscular, uh, uh, unathletic, athletic. 
Then imagine all the mental types, nervous, calm, math, ma uh, mathematical, unmathematical, artistic, musical, other than musical, etc, etc. See, there are huge differences among us. But when the spiritual fruit of humility and patience reign, there live, uh, lives unity between us. Christian unity is such di in, in such diversity brings glory to God. And we read at the end of verse 3 that we are to maintain unity by being peacemakers. That's our role, to keep the bond of peace. Okay, so let me give you my second heading then as we move forward today. And it's this, cause. In verse 4 to 6 we see the cause. What I mean by cause is the origin of our unity, where it comes from. See, Paul celebrates the cause of our unity by saying, in verse uh, 4 here, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So what we must see, I think, here, as we read these verses from verse 4 through 6, is that our unity is firmly rooted in the unity of the Holy Trinity. What I mean by Holy Trinity? Well, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit, actually, in verse 4, is very clear. The Lord is actually very clear in verse, five, verse 4, and in verse uh, 6 we see God, and therefore each of the seven uh, great unities in these verses are connected with one of the persons of the Trinity. Let's look at this briefly together. Firstly, we see that the person of the Holy Spirit and his work in bringing unity, and it says in verse 4, as I've said already, there is one body and one spirit. So there's the spirit. So the Holy Spirit creates the body of Christ, uh, creates the body of Christ, which is you and me, Jew and Gentile, that diverse body of believers we talked a little uh, about earlier on, and we talked about in previous weeks. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates, fills, and uh, coordinates and orchestrates, if you like, um, and empowers the body of Christ. Well, then, secondly, we see the person of Christ here, don't we, in, in these verses, and his work in ministering unity. It says in verse 4 and in verse 5, actually, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So the one Lord here is Jesus. Jesus creates one faith because he is the object and focus of of our belief, of our faith. In Jesus, then, we have different gifts, different ministries, different places of service, but only one hope and one calling. And I believe the one baptism here is the New Testament model of water baptism by immersion, where we believe as a church that going fully under the water in baptism is a powerful testimony of our unity with 
Jesus. It doesn't signify your allegiance to the, the building, the church, the minister or group or some community, but to Jesus and how he has brought you from that spiritual valley we talked about before to the spiritual summit. Well then, lastly, in these in this small section of verses, there is the person of the Father and his work in unity. It says, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I've already said today that I have two older brothers, Nathan, the middle brother, and John, who's the eldest uh, of my brothers. John and I look alike and talk alike. But Nathan is is different. He, unlike me, has fair hair and wears glasses. He is also a project manager for a large civil engineering company in the south of England. Our lives, if you like, are by God's design, um, have been taken down taken down two different paths, and that's amazing about how he's using us in in these two different ways. But Despite our great differences, we have the same father. We are brothers and we will always have love for one another. And we are, after all is said and done, family. And so it is with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same heavenly father. Our unity comes from the same uh, seven grand unities we see in these verses, which are rooted in the Holy Trinity. And those seven, if you didn't see them and, and haven't figured out what they are, it is one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Well, as we finish for the day, let me ask one question then. What are the implications of our unity, which is rooted in the Holy Spirit? What are the implications well, simply this, our unity is eternal and unbreak unbreakable. Yes, we may have many differences, but the global church who is in Christ will never be separated. Our unity is more solid than the Himalayas and more enduring than Venus and Mars. See, the unity of the church is ultimately indestructible. However, in our small local context we must be hard at work to maintain the bond of peace how our character humility gentleness patience bearing with one another in love why because our unity is a powerful message to the world for the glory of god the god who is over all and through all and in all. That is the one who gets the glory when we have unity. After all, we are God created, God loved, God saved, God fathered, God controlled, God sustained, God filled and God blessed. We are a people that are under the sovereign, omnipotent and omnipresent God. And today, church, we need to look at these verses again. We need to pray for that unity to continue in our church. 
week by week, month by month, as we are separated right now, we pray that it will continue. When we come back, we pray that it will be as it always has been, that it will grow from strength to strength, and that as we work hard at it, as we work on our character, as we work on humility and gentleness and patience and love-bearing each other, that by that we will be more effective in our ministry, that we will be have a greater zeal to serve with one another for the glory of God in this place, in this community, through this valley. This is the first practical thing that we need to get to work at, and it's our character. Look at who we are in Christ. All that we've looked at in the first three chapters. And now we are implored, we are urged by God's word to be these sort of people, to be this sort of church. And I think if we if we get this and we hold this and we let this sink in and we let these things be written on our hearts and we change if necessary, we will be a wonderfully bright light, a wonderfully effective church, not for our own glory, but for God's glory and for the extension of his kingdom. So get the prayer, get the work. Let's work on these things in these days that we have and long for the days when we're back together and we can enjoy the unity that we speak of here uh, in these days to come. Father, we are challenged about who now you're calling us to be, what you're calling us to do in the church that you desire that we are, witness that we would be if we just possess these things, each and every one of us. Help us in our humility. We'll take away our pride. If that is closing in on us, we pray that that would be gone. We, have, we will be gentle and meek. Not weak, but that we would be people who have strength, who have strength under control. Or we'd be those who bear with one another. We'd be patient with one another. We wouldn't be short-tempered, but long-tempered. Lord, we pray that when we do that, and as we foster those characters in our lives today and ongoing, they would have a profound effect on the church's unity and its witness for the glory of God. So help us to do these things. Be with us continually, day by day, until we meet again and we can practice that unity in a better way. So Lord, go before us now and help us as we respond in song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.